0: Well, good morning. Can you hear me now? All right. Well, good morning. If you will, take your Bible and turn to Second Timothy chapter two. Second Timothy chapter two. I just have a couple of commercials before we get into this. Uh, first of all, uh, Mark, Greg and Michelle McClanahan are some of my dearest friends. I've known Greg and uh, Michelle McClanahan for about 35 years now. And I have been to Mexico probably about 40 times over those years and just kind of done some adventures and missions with them. I, I just have to tell you one. I, I love to backpack, and here's the reason why. Uh, one of our trips in Mexico, we went on a backpacking trip. And the reason we went, we went into some remote places because Harvest supports pastors and their families in missions that are in the middle of only God knows where. Well, in southern Mexico, there is heavy persecution, and some of these pastors have been martyred. And yet, harvest still sends the support, monthly support, to the widow of that martyred pastor. And so our backpacking trip was to go to three different places, I believe, that time, And we took the support and some supplies to these widows and their children that Harvest still supports. Kind of things you never hear about in missions, but so many incredible, wonderful things are happening there. Incredible. Uh, This weekend is called Big Weekend. You might notice our young people and some adults have a t-shirt on because come Friday night we met at the church. We went to uh, several of y'all's homes, and so for those of you uh, host parents that kept us in your homes, thank you very much for doing that, and then we had some leaders that came along each of these groups, and we would go to Quill Springs Baptist Church Friday night for worship and hearing the word, and then we spent the night in their homes, and then we got up, and we went back to church, we did some stuff, came back here to Heritage we did this thing called the amazing Race that I'm still recuperating from, and then we went back uh, to the homes, had a meal, uh, went back to Quell Springs, uh, heard another message uh, got here this morning had what was that about fifty dozen donuts in the youth department this morning we're ready to go aren't we We are sugared up yeah, okay anyway, so um, it was. A wonderful weekend. Uh, I absolutely love it. This is maybe my 23rd year to be a part of this, and here is one of the most amazing things that I have seen over these years. The leaders of these young people that led during this weekend, they were our young people so many years ago. And here's what's so amazing about that. The statistic says that two years after high school, two-thirds of young people will walk away from the faith. Two-thirds of young people will walk away from the faith two years after high school. And yet we have, they're not youth anymore. They're young adults that have kept the faith, and they're leading. But the wonderful thing is it's not just for a weekend. They get to see them day in and day out, Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday. And they get to see what it looks like to be a young adult still following Jesus, an incredible example to them. It's been a wonderful weekend. This morning, we're trying to kind of wrap it up. But you know this, and all of us know this, it's not about necessarily about the weekend and all that, but it's the fruit afterwards. And you know that it's not just every Sunday morning that we gather together, we worship the Lord, we hear from the word, but it's the fruit that is afterwards. And so if you would, in Second Timothy chapter two, you know this, because Pastor Marty has already preached through 1 Timothy, is finishing up Titus, and will soon be in 2 Timothy. And so 2 Timothy, if you would, just kind of give you a background. 1 Timothy, Paul sent Timothy to this church, and it was a very difficult assignment. 2 Timothy is the very last letter that Paul ever writes. Then he is beheaded. But he is writing this letter to Timothy to encourage him, it is the last time I'll ever talk with him. In fact, at the very end of that letter, he says twice, Please come to me before winter. Because he knows when winter time comes, he won't be able to get there because of the treacherous of the sea and all that kind of stuff. And he's saying, Hey, Timothy, do your very best to come to you. I'd like to see you one more time before he knows he's going to be martyred. And so he's saying to him, Timothy, come to me. But if you took this whole letter and wrapped it up, this would be the theme, if you would. Chapter 2, verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He is saying, be strong. In fact, again, if you wrapped up this whole letter, that is what Paul is saying to Timothy. And because Paul is being inspired by the Holy Spirit, this is his word for you and I as well that you and I are to be strong in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what's interesting. Be strong, it's an imperative. In other words, it's command of God that you and I are to be strong. But here's what's interesting, if you would. It's a passive tense, meaning this is not a strength in your own. This is in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, whenever you and I think about grace, we're always thinking of maybe saving grace. And like after you're saved, that's the end of grace. That's not true. And you know this. You and I live in grace after grace after grace, moment by moment grace that is being given to you and I. And so this is not talking about saving grace. It's talking about enabling grace. And so this verse might be read like this. Be strengthened by the enabling grace of Jesus Christ. You and I, day in and day out, not just big weekend, not just on mission trips, but at home in the humdrum of life, you and I are to be strengthened in the grace of Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul, for Timothy, and honestly for me, gives me four pictures to kind of see what that looks like. And that's what I need. I need a picture. In fact, my dad growing up would say this phrase, Do you see what I'm saying? Have you ever heard that before? I always thought my dad was getting it wrong. Like, I thought it was supposed to do you hear what I'm saying. My dad would say, Do you see what I'm saying? And you know what I mean by that, right? Because when you think, you don't have like a screen in your brain that words go on, do you? You think in pictures. That's how God created us. We think in pictures. If you think in words, then... Well, anyway, so uh, the deal is you think in pictures. And Paul here gives four pictures. Hey, Timothy, listen. You're to be strong in the Lord, and I want to give you four pictures. I might never see again, and he doesn't. He never sees Timothy again. But I want to give you four pictures, and here they are if You would. Look at verse 2. It's the image of a faithful teacher. Now, before I go on, don't lose me. Some of us maybe even right now are going, well, that's not meaning me. I'm not a teacher. Hold on. If you are a follower of Jesus, this applies to every one of us. Not just your ABF, Sunday school teacher, Pastor Marty. This applies to every one of us that is followers of Christ. Listen to what it says. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Entrust. It is something very valuable that you're putting into safekeeping. So you and I are to entrust what the Word of God into safekeeping into other people. Not to look there, but Pastor Marty already went through 1 Timothy. It was first entrusted to Paul, and then Paul entrusted it to Timothy, and Timothy is to entrust it to other people. And the truth is, it is never to stop with us. The Word of God is to spread through us. Now hear me. If Only the teaching that was done is by the pastors, elders, Sunday school teachers. It would never be done. It would never spread like it should. In fact, every one of us is commissioned to be teachers, to be spreading. Not that it would stop with us, but that it would spread through us. In fact, just listen if you would. You know the Great Commission, right? The Great Commission, Jesus said this in Matthew, and Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the earth. And sometimes people think, Well, Jesus is only talking talking to, like, those apostles or just to those particulars. But yet he's talking to every one of us. In fact, listen to this one, Colossians chapter 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let. It's an imperative. It's a command of God that you and I are to take the word of God and it is to take up residence, make itself at home in us, For this purpose, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, the singing of psalms and hymns, spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And so listen, listen to this. You and I are to listen to the word of God. And many of you all know this illustration, right? We're to listen to the word of God. We're to read the word of God. We're to study the Word of God. We're to memorize the Word of God. We're to what? Meditate on the Word of God. And we are to do this. Why is that? To send it out, to spread it, to give it away to other people. In fact, we're to do this not to just be receivers, but to be reproducers. You and I are to be listening this morning you are to be listening, actively listening, to be a reproducer of this thing. And you know, you know what I'm talking about. Many of you in this room, you've had this like uh, thing that's happened, like you're talking with someone at your job or in your neighborhood or somewhere, and all of a sudden they start talking to you about things that you just read about. You just heard Pastor Marty preach about. You just heard, hopefully, that good uh, preacher on the radio as you're weeding through all of those, right, the good one, you want to be able to like, hey, I just heard that. And instead of saying, hey, listen, you should listen to my pastor. Hey, listen, you should listen to this program on the radio. No, God gave that to you because you have more of a relationship with that person. They're in your sphere of relationships. If you told them to go listen to somebody else, they might never do that. God put that in your lap, not to stop with you, but to spread through you. And you know this. Many of you have had this before. I'll just give you this one illustration. Years ago on a Thursday morning, we were having this Bible study. And there was a few guys in there, and one of them, his name was Elmo Black. Elmo Black, every Thursday morning, for at least, I don't know, 10 years, every time he said, hey, I have a prayer request. So I want you to pray for my daughter, Sherry. She needs to know the Lord. And what I come to find out after years, they were kind of estranged over some m- marriage and remarriage. And his daughter had kind of got strained relationship, and he didn't get to see Sherry anymore. And But yet, every Thursday morning, Elmo would go, pray for my daughter Sherry. Elmo passed away, did his funeral. About three years after that, I get this phone call here at the church, and and it's just the receptionist says, hey, uh, uh, there's Sherry on the phone, wants to talk to you. Well, I'm thinking it's my Sherry, And so I say, hey, I'm glad I didn't say like, hey, honey, what's going on? Anyway, didn't do that. But anyway, so I said, hello. And she goes, hey, my name's Sherry. I am Elmo Black's daughter. For years, he kept going, pray for my daughter, Sherry. She needs to know the Lord. Elmo dies three years after that. Sherry calls me. It says, a long story, but I got to get the ashes of my dad in the urn. And I would like to be able to take it to a cemetery and next to my mom, bury him. And I have this little note, Jim Jackson. Could you do that? Oh, no, I got something going on. Oh, my goodness, what do you think? I met her and her son that Elmo never met. And it was the guy at the cemetery who kind of dug the hole for the urn. And it was Sherry and her son and me. You know what I talked to her about? I said, "Do you know, your dad loved you. You know how I know that? Because for 10 years, all he did is talk about you. And I have to tell you, Sherry, here's the thing he talked most of, is that he wanted you to know the same Jesus that he knew. And in an empty cemetery, only three of us, I got to share the gospel. Something that Elmo had for years desired in his heart and never got to do. And yet, 13 years or so later, his daughter gets to hear the gospel. You and I are to be listening. Not that it would stop with us, but it would spread. Through us, And so you and I are not only to be teachers that it, we might reproduce it in others, we're to be something else, if you would. And verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And so Paul, he gives this image of the good soldier. And here's the first thing you think about whenever he talks about this, right? You know what this means. You and I, as followers of Christ, are in a war. Is this right? Three of you realize that you're in a war. And here's the truth. Satan would love no more than you to realize, I'm not in a war. I live in the United States of America. I got really good here. Not much is going on here. I have freedom here. Persecution's not happening here, I'm just doing really good. Well, you know this, you and I are in a war with our flesh. You'll never get away from that. You and I daily, moment by moment, live in this flesh. It still has a sin nature. It is still warring against us. And you and I must constantly be realizing that we're in a war with the flesh that we live in day in and day out. And you cannot give up on that because it will never give up its battle for, against us. And so you and I are in a war against our flesh. You and I are against a war with the world. It's interesting this weekend, we're reminded. Uh, a number of years ago, America, we lived in maybe what would be called positive America when it came to Christianity. To be a Christian, it was a good thing. And then there was a time, a period of kind of a neutral It was kind of like, oh, you're a Christian? Okay, whatever. But now we live in what's called, do you remember, young people, we live in negative America, where a Christian is considered dangerous. We're considered, man, we're the odd one out. We're the one that's doing the wrong. Scripture says what in the end times? Good will be considered or called evil And evil will be celebrated and be called good. And you and I live in a world where honestly, if we live and walk and talk our faith, we are considered dangerous in this world. But not only the flesh and the world, you and I are at war with an enemy called the devil who will never let up. He never lets up. You and I are to be good soldiers, realizing we are in a battle. But it's not just that. It's more than that. In fact, you and I are to suffer for something bigger than ourselves. Most, not all people's gloominess is because they have tunnel vision of self-absorption. You all know what this is, right? If you don't watch out, you'll get tunnel vision, and it's just self-absorption. You can't see anything else. Your world just shrinks to only what you can see. In fact, if you look through this long enough, it gets smaller. In fact, you can't see anything but just this little thing in your life. And the truth is, over time, that kind of living, that kind of view, is a prison. Thinking you're trying to preserve yourself. You got this you're concerned about. This is the only thing that matters in life. This, this right here. And it shrinks down smaller and smaller and smaller until you can't see anything else or anybody else fact you don't even see God anymore because it has shrunk so small and it has become a prison and so what's the cure the cure is to embrace a vision of a life that's greater than one's own concern if you would take your bible and turn to second corinthians chapter 8 just give you kind of a Idea of some believers that weren't looking through tunnel vision of their own self absorption, but they broke free from that. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, if you would. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. While you're turning that, you know, a good soldier, here's kind of maybe uh, something you might remember. A good soldier comes to learn to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. A good soldier learns to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. You know, we've been talking about missions, and we'll continue to be talking about missions. And if you're not comfortable with being uncomfortable, you'll never be a part of missions. Because I have to promise you, I've never been on a comfortable mission venture ever. Those are called vacations. Those are called cruises. That's called uh, Fantasy Island. I don't know what that's called. I have never been on a youth or any other mission trip that was not comfortable. They've all been uncomfortable. I want to go ahead and just tell you, and some of them have been outright dangerous. Oh, I'm never going to let my kid go now. Well, I I just have to tell you, some of them have been outright dangerous. And so if you never get to where you're comfortable with being uncomfortable, you'll never experience what God wants in your life. Listen to this. Paul says, hey, I want to tell you about some people that were really strong in the grace of God. He says, I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God, again, not just the saving, but the enabling grace of God, that has been given among the churches of Macedonia and you know that these churches, they have been uh, war-torn, they've been persecuted, uh, they are in a very, very bad situation. And so Paul, the kind of the, behind this, he is going to churches and he's taking up an offering to bring back to some very, very poor saints. And so while he is doing this trip, a missionary trip, he's raising support. But when he comes to these people, listen to what he says in verse 2. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. That's a whole lot. Just listen to it one more time. Listen to the extremes. In their severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, and that's really what gets the world when it comes to a believer. A believer can have extreme sufferings, difficulties, and at the same time have absolutely abundant joy at the same time. That baffles the world. In fact, it baffles some Christians that there are some Christians that can have severe pain and suffering and at the same time have an abundance of joy. And he goes on to say, not only that, but their overflow in a wealth of generosity on their part because verse 3 says, for they gave according to their own means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God. They did not allow their circumstances to kind of only look at their circumstances, but in the midst of incredible afflictions in their life, they wanted to be a part of this. They wanted to give. They had learned to be comfortable with just being uncomfortable in life. They had learned that. They learned that, hey, don't get tunnel vision. In fact, if you will, look at verse 4 back in Second Timothy because Paul says not only about a good soldier is he to suffer hardship, but in verse 4, no soldier gets entangled in the civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. If you would, listen to Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, or your translation might say encumbrance, comma, and the sin which clings so closely. The weight or the encumbrance is not necessarily a sin. So I, I ran cross country, and I wrestled. Is that the right way to say it? Wrestled, wrestled, wrestled. Anyway, and the reason was is because if I got in a really bad gym in wrestling, I could outrun my opponent. Anyway, that's that's not a good thing. But anyway, but when you do those two sports, you don't like get the heaviest combat boots. You don't wear the sweats. You don't, like, have all the jewelry on. You don't have your uh, cell phone and your watch and your headphones and all that kind of stuff on. No, because they're encumbrance. They're hindrances. They're not necessarily bad, but they're hindrances. But you know this. If the hindrance stays for a while, it becomes a sin. It'll become a sin. I have a couple of hobbies. And every now and then, you know what I do? I just lay them aside. I just keep my shop locked, and I don't go in there and do a couple of things I really like to do. Blacksmithing. I'll just lay it aside. You know why? Because it's become a little too encumbering. It's become too much on my mind. I can be sitting here and I'm thinking about that. And I'm like, okay, that's probably I've been doing that too much. And so I need to lay that aside. You say, well, that's legalism. Well, I know that laying it aside is not going to gain me any more favor with God. That's legalism. Legalism is when you say, if I do this or don't do this, God is going to love me more. That's legalism. But Honestly, having some discipline and self-control and laying it aside—it's not legalism. It's just good for your soul, and it's good for your mind. It's just good sometimes to say no. I'll I'll give you a few. It's just—it's just really good sometimes to drive past Brahms. It really is. Don't do it a lot, but I mean, every now and then, just drive by it. Maybe drive to the next one a little further, but just drive by say no. Or, you know, you got opportunity to be there at night and like, you know, here's this thing you want to watch on TV. Sometimes it's just good to say no. And again, that's not legalism. That's just called, you know, I think this has taken over too much. It's just got a hold of my life a little too much. I need to lay it aside. Because you know this, if you hang on it too long, it'll become a sin. So I want you, if you will, just to listen to this one last little story and we'll go to the next. A good soldier doesn't entangle himself. He has learned to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. September 19, 2003, Hurricane Isabel was playing havoc over Arlington National Cemetery, which lies the tomb of the unknown soldier where elite soldiers guard this tomb day and night, 24-7. For the first time ever in history, they were given permission to stand down during the hurricane for their own personal safety. The call came through to the commander of these soldiers on that watch on that particular day, and after he got the orders, he hung it up, and he turned to the men and he said, "'We've been given permission,' by those in authority over us, to stand down. And you know what they all said in unison? That will not happen. And they stood their post during Hurricane Isabel, even though they said, for your own personal safety, go ahead and not do it. A soldier has learned to what? Be comfortable with being uncomfortable at times. But not only that, there's the image of the disciplined athlete. And I'm going to go kind of quickly through this, verse 5, if you would. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes, suffers, runs to win, struggles according to the rules. And you all know this, spiritual discipline, which comes from the root word of a disciple, is the foundation of spiritual maturity. Say it again. Spiritual discipline is the foundation of spiritual maturity. A disciplined disciple controls his affections, his appetites, his emotions, priorities, so he can run in such a way as to win. An athlete sticks to the rules It's more than just the rules that you see outwardly, but what Paul's talking about, and these people knew about it, that to qualify to be an athlete to be in these particular games, you had to have proven that you did some private discipline before you showed up to the meet. I mean, you had to be a Roman citizen, but the other thing, you had to be able to document that for at least 10 months... You are on a particular diet that you did all of your regiments and you could prove that you'd put in your private discipline before the event. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, hey, listen, as an athlete, it's not just about what everybody sees. It's about what people do not see. And so maybe just listen to this. And you know this. I know this. There are players And there are athletes. There are people who play at it, and then there are real athletes. A player does not put in the private practice. An athlete puts in the private practice, which gives evidence in his public life. An athlete puts in the private practice, which nobody sees, but it's evident in his public Players are not comfortable with being uncomfortable. A player, they'll just quit in the middle of the event. They'll just quit or walk away or just never show up, but that's just too difficult. But an athlete makes up their mind that difficult, discomfort are part of it. Players are okay uh, cutting corners when no one is looking Athletes stay in their lane no matter what, even when no one is looking. Believers, we're to be what? Staying in our lane even when nobody is looking. Probably one of the biggest differences between a player and an athlete are the small surrenders they are willing to make. And you know this. All of us in this room, we know this. There are small surrenders. Small surrenders. Either for the good or for uh, the bad, uh, for the drifting, for the not growing, for the advancing in the kingdom, for maturing in your walk with Christ. There are small surrenders Either way, you read in the book of Proverbs about the sloth. You know how he became a sloth? Because he made one a small surrender after another. And then all of a sudden, at the end of one particular chapter, a guy walks by where the sluggard lives. And he goes, I saw the fence in front of his house. It was all broken down, and his house is broken down, and I gained wisdom. It was little by little that this happened. He surrendered a little at a time, a little over time. Here's my last one. Players are playing to be seen by the crowd. Athletes understand that it is the trainers. They know what's been done in private. You've probably heard this before. Don't worry, Jonathan, I'm not going to mess up this. But you've probably heard there was this young person, they were incredible at the piano. And they had been heard by so many that they were asked and invited to be a part of a big event that they would be the opening act. And so this young person just tickled the ivories. It was amazing. And when they got done... The crowd erupted and stood to their feet, and the young person stood up and was about to give a bow, but all of a sudden, their countenance dropped, and they just turned around and walked off stage. People backstage were going like, what are you doing? Like, look at all those people out there standing at their feet and clapping. They want you to go out there and play another round. And the person says, do you see that old man? I'm not pointing at anyone, promise, Okay. But you see that old man out there? You mean the one sitting down? Yeah, that's my piano teacher. Everybody else can be standing up and plodding, but it's the trainer. It's back to like the soldier doesn't entangle themselves so they can do what? They can please the one who enlisted them in the army. And listen, everybody can be plodding and going crazy, But if that one, and you know who that one is for every one of us, right? If you're a follower of Jesus, if it's not Jesus, the rest does not mean diddly squat. That's from this weekend. That's kind of, you know, it doesn't matter. If he's not pleased, everybody else can see it and applaud and go crazy. But if he is not pleased, then no matter. So an athlete, he plays. He plays the game. He goes through those hardships. He puts in the training. He does all of that for that one. And then Paul comes to this last one, which might be one of the most hardest ones to realize because it's talking about the image of a hardworking farmer in verse 6. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops we don't have farmers. We don't have a lot of farmers. A lot of us have never been on a farm. We have no idea what goes on on a farm, what happens there. It would probably be good for every one of us if you would go and spend a week on a farm and just be with the farmer day in and day out through all the things that they do. It is mundane. It's something you do over and over again. When something breaks, you don't wait until, hey, whenever you have time. No, you get your work done, and then you go out there in the dark and work all night to get that tractor going. And you continually sow seed, and you do mundane, routine tasks. Not a lot of people are going, thank you so very much for what you do. You know, you might have one of these and you're going like, thank you, whoever invented this. So, job guy, whatever his name was. Now, thank you for this. This is great. But, you know, when you're eating your sandwich and that bread, you're probably not going like, thank you, Mr. Farmer Joe, for growing that wheat and plowing that field and your tractor breaking down and losing your crop that year and, your, you know, everything going on. Probably don't. Not a lot of gratification. In fact, maybe something that would go with this. In a world of instant gratification, work hard now for future reward. In fact, the farmer works hard. He realizes he's not just providing for himself. He is tirelessly plowing and sowing and working at times in obscurity for the Lord and for the good Of other people, some of you in this room, you've been working a long time for the Lord, you've been doing stuff. In fact, maybe you've never been noticed, you've been like, Thank you, or maybe you've had a few of those, but like it's just been a long time, and you're like, Man, I'm just giving up. Paul's saying to Timothy, and he's saying to you and I, Hey, you and I are to be like the farmer, you just keep working hard now because we're not home yet. You've heard that before. We're working hard now for future reward. We're not working for the reward that just happens right now. We're working for what? The reward that comes later that will be beyond any comparison of anything that we would ever gain for right now. Any accolade of thank you, you're awesome and all that. We are working hard now. There will be a future reward. And you know what you and I will do with that reward, right? You think you'll be wearing it around or wearing it around your neck around heaven? You know what you'll do with that reward? You'll cast it right back at the feet at the one who gave it to you. Because you realize, I don't deserve this. I was doing this for you all along. So a faithful teacher, he's teaching, he's reproducing in others. A good soldier is doing hard things for his commander for the good of others a disciplined athlete is running in such a way to win the race a hard-working farmer is working hard now for future rewards and the truth is as a follower of Jesus every one of these images should resonate with us like you should see yourself I should see myself either I am kind of in that or I'm not quite doing that or I'm or maybe I am. It should resonate with us. It should stir inside of us like am I being this? Is the word of God stopping with me or is it spreading through me? Am I keeping the rules, not the rules like Hey, I'm gaining favor with God, but am I running a course according to what would please the Lord? Am I suffering hardship? Am I willing to do some hard things and to suffer some difficult things for the good of other people and for the glory of the Lord, maybe spreading the gospel elsewhere? Am I like the hard-working soldier that, or the farmer who I'm working hard now? I'm not looking for the reward right now. It'll come later. I'm just going to keep at the task right now. And I would say if that does not resonate, then possibly you're not a follower of Jesus. And so I have some bad and good news for you. First, the bad. All of us have sinned against God. The wages of our sin against God is eternal separation from God. We are spiritually dead to God. This is the absolute worst news in the world. But God made a way to be forgiven and made right with Him. God could not and cannot just sweep our sin under a rug. His wrath against us and our sin must be rightly dealt with. God the Son came and took on flesh, lived a perfect life of obedience, one that we could not live. He suffered on a cross by absorbing all of God's wrath against our sin, and he died a perfect sacrifice fulfilling God's righteous requirements. Jesus rose from the dead proving that God is satisfied with his Son's sacrifice. This is the gospel. That's the gospel. And in hearing that, if your heart is stirred, that is God at work in you, giving you faith and repentance. I was 21 years old. I had heard that over and over, and over, because I came and sat at church all of my life. But at 21, God determined, He decided, it was His choice. He, by His Holy Spirit, would stir and open up my heart. He would give me faith and repentance to respond to that, and I responded to that. And so, if your heart is being stirred, He is giving you the ability to turn and trust Him. And I would so encourage you to do that very thing. And so, young people, this weekend, we, including myself, have heard the Word of God. We've heard a lot of the Word of God this weekend. And I guess this will resonate with you. Will we live under it? right? Or will we decide what part of it we'll do and what part of it we won't? And honestly, children and adults, you've heard the Word of God. What will you do with it? What will you do with it? And so would you bow your heads with me? You just close your eyes for just a minute. In a moment, we're going to Respond in just worshiping God for what goodness He has done in our lives. But the truth is, maybe some of you need to be responding even right now in your heart. Did these things resonate with you as a follower of Christ? Is the Word of God stopping with you? Is it spreading? Are you being a good soldier, an athlete, hardworking farmer, as a follower of Jesus? Are these things resonating with you? What will you do with this? This is like this is evaluation. If if you're lining up, oh praise God, continue. If the Lord is speaking to you about certain things, then praise the lord respond rightly and bear fruit and go from here and continue on if you need to talk to someone if you need to pray with someone find someone and pray if you came with someone this morning ask them could you pray with me now this weekend young people you know this is not all there is the the real fruit of this weekend is what will happen after this What fruit will be born? What will you do with these things in your everyday at home, at school, with your friends, when nobody's looking? In fact, for every one of us in this room, it's the same. The fruit of this will be what happens now. Because the Lord knows. He knows. He's watching. He's the one we're to be looking to. He's the one that we're to be pleasing. He's the one that we're to give praise to. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you for the grace you've given us. For those of us that know you, we thank you for the grace that has saved us. And, Lord, for the enabling grace you are giving us moment by moment, day after day, to live for you in this world as your ambassadors, your disciples, In this world, in our homes, and in our businesses, and in our neighborhoods, and wherever we're at, with whoever we're with, that we would represent you rightly. And Father, I would pray for those, even this morning, that there are things in their lives that they are not willing to submit to your authority. Would you give them grace? Would you continue to prompt their hearts? Would you continue to convict them to turn give them repentance to be able to turn we realize that only in repentance do we find real lasting joy and so father i pray that you'd set some people free maybe that are real bondage today god we just respond in praise back to you for your goodness to us we ask these things in your name